Let's, uh, let's stand together and read. Can we? Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel and chapter 1. We're going to read verses 29 to 39 today. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. At the end, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. You can say thanks be to God. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever, and they told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various, illness, various diseases, and he cast out many demons. Because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, my daughter and I were out for a, a, a jog, a run a couple Saturdays ago, and we went about, I think it was about, maybe around 4.45. All I know is that I checked the, the, day, the time for the sunset before we left, and I thought, I think we can make it out where we're going and back in time before the sun sets. Uh, little did I know that our destination, well, I knew where our destination was, but little did I know that our destination, we would stay there for about 15 minutes. So, so on the way out from our house, if you know where we live, out to Moore Mesa, out to that beautiful, that beautiful Mesa there overlooking the ocean, we, we ran under the most beautiful warm sun, and it was just, just beautiful to look at and and I don't know if you remember, it's kind of like this most of the week, I think, but last Saturday, it was maybe the first time in a few days or weeks where you just feel the warmth on your body and in your face. And, and we got to the, to the cliff there overlooking the ocean, and we just, we just were so enamored by the, the, the vista, and, and I at least was enamored by our time together. And so we just kind of stayed there looking at the sunset and enjoying it, and and suddenly the sun started to get right on the, on the edge of the ocean. And I thought to myself, we're, we're, we're bucking up against it right here. So we, we better get going. And so we turn around and begin to run. And as we just got a few hundred yards, perhaps, still on the mesa there, we saw the sun just dip below the horizon. Actually, we didn't, we didn't see it dip. Katie, remember this? We, we felt it dip. You guys know what I'm talking about. You've perhaps lived in Santa Barbara long enough to know that as soon as the sun goes down or you get out of its path, it gets chilly. 
And suddenly we felt like, like a 10 degree temperature drop just in that, I really don't know how to measure that when I don't have a gauge, but it just felt a lot, a lot cooler in that moment. And Katie and I both observed it. And, and then we began to notice people walking out onto More Mesa and they had like jackets on and like scarves, you know, and they were out for their evening walk and they were all bundled up. And I look over at Katie, she's got like a tank top on and shorts and I've got a t-shirt on and, and shorts and we're like, we better, we better just keep going, let's go. And I think our pace home was a little bit faster than it was going out. But we're, we're talking in these weeks about the radiant presence of Jesus. And we're thinking about what radiance means, this, 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 this giving of light, this giving of warmth. And, and that's exactly what we felt the sun doing to our bodies. And when it ceased, we felt the cool come over us and the lack of radiance. And in these days, we're talking about Jesus as the, as the radiant expression of the Father in the world. And when we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus and we find ourselves in, in relationship with Jesus, we find ourselves experiencing the, the presence and the glow and the warmth of God himself. This is what the Hebrew writer talked about it. And this is the last Sunday in this series. So it's the last time you'll have to read it with me. But from Hebrews chapter 1, this portion of verse 3, let's read it together. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. It's this, in, in the sun, it's, it's, the, it's the light and the warmth and the very person of God that is being expressed and communicated to us. The exact representation of God, the very glory of God. And we've said it um, over and over through these weeks. When Jesus came to earth in human form, the earth had a shining knowledge of God's glory. And in and, and these weeks, and I hope you've remembered a little bit of the connection these weeks in this season after Epiphany, when on the, on the day of Epiphany, we celebrate the appearance of God into the world in Jesus. In these weeks after Epiphany, we've been celebrating the appearance of God into the world in Jesus and about how God revealed Jesus to the world. And at the same time, never forget this little this little phrase, at the same time, Jesus revealing God to the world. It's just this back and forth, this beautiful mutual expression, Jesus, God revealing Jesus and Jesus revealing God to the world. And we've had opportunities to proclaim just in concrete ways this beautiful revelation. And we've been doing it primarily through Mark's gospel. And right there in chapter one of Mark's gospel. And so, as I said, this is our last Sunday, so we're not going to quite finish the whole thing. You'll have to go home and read verses 40 through 45, but uh, it's really good as well. But what a ride it's been through Mark's gospel, from baptism with John to Nazareth to the calling of the disciples to the exorcism of a demon and all sorts of interesting uh, activity in these early days of Jesus' life and ministry. And in today's reading, if you noticed, there is no slacking of the pace. There's no like pause button or like, you know, Sabbath afternoon nap for Jesus. Did you notice? I mean, 
I guess most of us will be watching the Super Bowl at some point this afternoon, but, but a lot of times, and maybe some of you will sleep through it or at least get a little nap before it, because Sunday afternoons, some people say they were made you know, for the boys, but I, I think they're made for naps, you know, but not happening here with Jesus. Might have been, might have been really tempting, right, for Jesus just to to bask in the accolades of all that he had done, all that he had accomplished. He just exercised a demon. The, the crowds were amazed. It would have been easy for him just to, to go get lunch with the disciples and have a nice afternoon. But there's no resting. And the story, if you notice, it bursts out of the synagogue doors. It's like the synagogue doors fly open wide, and out comes Jesus and the disciples, and they're right into something new. They're right into something amazing. They're right into the rest of the day and the rest of the week and the rest of their lives and the rest of the story. And, and, and at a very important level, the story reminds us that, that nothing stands still with Jesus. He's always moving forward in mission, always moving out to where God is calling him. Any of these three that little vignettes that we read, Jesus at the home, Simon Peter's home, Jesus waiting on all the people who have come to the home to be healed, Jesus praying and being confronted by the disciples, any of them on their own could give us a meaningful sort of glimpse into the heart of God. But what do they, what do they say to us when taken together? I just was looking at these and thinking about what do we learn about the way and the will of God? What do we learn about the purposes of God in the world from this, this picture of Jesus, this composite picture of Jesus that's, that's developing in, in this chapter? We see I think the, some of the last words that Jesus says in this scripture, in fact, in this section, they are the last words he says, are, are what sort of drove it home for me as I read it. Did you see those? La- they're in red in my Bible. You see what he, his last words in this section? That is why I came. Man. It's like Jesus, and we're going to, talk some more about this, but it's like he, he has this, this clear sense of being driven by the mission of God. And it's interesting because here in this chapter, it's, it's like it's unfolding even for him to some extent. And, and he goes through these things to come to this point where he says, this, this is why I came. This mission of God is driving Jesus, in all that he does, out into the world. This was his reason for being, he says, to preach the good news to the people. The angel had said, remember to Joseph, just before Jesus was born, you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means, look at the footnote in your Bible, means to save He will save the people from their sins. And here he is. Here he is living out his name, 
coming to seek and to save, to love and to liberate, to bless and redeem. And it's in Jesus' ministry, let's catch this because here's the radiant expression. It's in Jesus' ministry here. It's in Jesus' passion and his zeal and his, his wonder at all that he is involved in, in, in all that he is, is doing, his, his just full being, fully being consumed by this mission, that he reveals the heart of God for mission. Jesus, consumed by mission, reveals a God that is all about mission. He reveals a God who is consumed with extending and reaching and loving and sharing and redeeming and saving. Jesus, Jesus reveals a God who won't be distracted. He won't be derailed. He won't be turned aside in any way from his mission of loving redemption in our world for all creation. This is what God is all about, and this is what Jesus shows him to be. And we see it at so many different levels in this, in this passage. You begin to look through the life of Jesus, this lens of Jesus' life, to see some of the different ways that we can understand God's zeal for, for mission. The, the first that I noticed was this, that the mission of God is a, it's a private affair. It's a, on one level, the mission of God is a private affair, and it's, it's concerned with individuals. Some of you who have taken the strengths finder, if you remember this, if you have the strength of individualism, can you raise your hand? Do you remember? Okay, there's, there's a few that have that strength of individualism. People who have this strength of individualism, it's just, they're just amazing. I remember one time I was at a, just a big group of people, and we had just taken the strengths finder not long before with some folks, and we were in this big group of people, and I'm an includer, which is sort of the opposite of individual. So if, you know, if I'm, you're talking to me, I'm like, let's get two more people to talk with us too. Then, you know, that's just me being me. But in the, in the middle of this large group, as I'm trying to get this group to talk and include and all this kind of stuff, I look over and there's this person with individualism just has this other person just one-on-one. And my first instinct was, Hey, leave them alone. I'm trying to include them. Would you stop talking to them? And then like two minutes later, I glance back at these two people, like kind of, you know. And the person that was being spoken with is like in tears. And not like, you know, bad tears, like good tears. Like this person with this strength of individualism had been able in this group of 20 people to hone in on this one person and sense their what was happening in their own heart and draw that out and bring them to a place of just real personal growth and development. It was an amazing, an amazing strength that made me really in awe of those of you with that strength. But I see in this, in this scene, God's desire through Mark's writing to help us remember that, that the mission of God is, is not just about the masses. It's about the individuals. It's about the, it's about the, the lives of single people, one by one by one. And where do I get this from? From Simon's mother-in-law. I, I, 
I don't know, I think this might be the only time that, I'm sure other mothers-in-law are referred to in Scripture, but not so explicitly. And, and I have said before that, and I just think that in this little story that Mark rec- records, it, it shows us forever that Jesus honors mothers-in-law. So if you have been less than honoring to your mother-in-law in recent days, or if you have any ideas about being less than honoring to your mother-in-law in future days, then, then turn it around, people, because Jesus loves mothers-in-law. Ah, I, don't point fingers. Don't point fingers. Just, just, just to own it, and let's realize it. I, I, my own mother-in-law passed away before she got to be my official mother-in-law. I'll never forget the night when she felt herself, Kyla's mom had, had brain cancer and felt herself kind of slipping away and she, in her un, kind of clear state, she, she from a hospital in Irvine, California called Kyla in San Diego and who called me in like the middle of the night and said, my mom's asking for us. And so I went and picked her up, and we drove to Irvine in the middle of the night, and, and we were invited into her, her hospital room, and she asked everybody else to leave. And she, in her language that she really couldn't quite put together in her, those days, was able to say, kind of point at me and point at Kyla, and, and she said, it's okay. And she was giving us her, her blessing. And we weren't even engaged. And I remember walking out of that room and Kyla was like, Kyla was like, hey, no pressure. <laughs> I was like, none taken. Kinda. I mean, kinda. Oh, man. That was a gift from God. That was a gift from the Lord. Just a wonderful grace of God to me and to us in that moment. But I, you know, I actually, I actually miss having a mother-in-law, and we talk about her a lot, our kids, and, and I'm probably not helping my wife right now, but uh, they're we're, happy they're happy tears. Just, hey, so, so don't take your mothers-in-law for granted, for one, but even to a next level, what does it look like to honor them as, as Jesus did? Here, I mean... He leaves, the, he leaves the synagogue with, with, his, with his disciples and they're, Simon, let's go to my house for lunch. And Jesus is maybe starting to kind of relax a little bit and he walks in and there's, there's Simon Peter's mother-in-law sick in bed with it. And, and in that day, uh, a fever was a different deal than it is today. Obviously, it was, it was, it was a sign of, of real problems, as it can be, obviously, in our world today also. But it also meant that this person, this person who was a vital member of the family, who was a key person in this scene, was down and out and unable to do what she was made to do. And Jesus, the language there that Mark uses, raised her up, not a word spoken, raises her up, foreshadowing perhaps some resurrection language that Mark would use later, this, this raising up, and Mark says she began to serve. She began to serve, and it's a, it's a word that isn't just used to serve lunch, you know, to serve meals. 
It's a word that's used to serve people. It talks about, it's the same word that talks about the angels who served Jesus after he had been uh, tempted in the wilderness. It's the same word that Jesus used when, I didn't, when he said that I didn't come to, to, to serve myself, but to serve other people. It's the same word that is described here. And many people look at this, this mother-in-law and they say, actually, she's, she's one of the first, other than the first disciples, to exemplify and demonstrate true servanthood to Jesus. It's not about just making lunch. It was about an appropriate response to the healing transforming work of God in her life. Jesus, who saw her as an individual and moved to her, looking past the masses to the one and working in her life in such a way that she would respond as a model disciple. Oh, not only should we honor mothers-in-law, but we should just try to be them. Some of you are them. Thank you. God bless you. We should try to be this one in particular in the way we were living in response to the mission of God, this very private, private affair, this mission of God that is concerned with the individual. I just want to tell you this morning, I watched some of you come and light a candle over here, and some of you talked to me about your own family members, some of you talked to me about your friends who don't know the Lord or who are walking away from the Lord. Some of you tell me about loved ones who are sick or who are hurting. I mean, I don't, I, I can't count, I can't remember all the people that people have told me about <laughs> in all the years. And it is so heavy and so significant in your heart, and those people are so important to you. And, and I know that. And when I am so privileged to have you talk with me about them, I, I can see it, and I try to feel it and to share that with you. But I just want to tell you that there's, there's one who cares so deeply about the individuals that you care about. There's one who, who doesn't just sort of add that to the list to pray for, but who feels it deeply in his own heart. There's one who knows every candle that is lit, who, who knows the people that they represent, the, the hearts and lives that we're praying for light, the light of Christ to shine in. There's one who knows the, the person on the, that you've asked to be put on the prayer list. There's one who knows the family member that's walking in a, in a different direction, there's one who knows every single one of those individuals, Rick. I'm telling you, he knows. And his mission is not just about, is not overlooking, it's not looking at the masses, it's looking at each face. And I just pray that we can remember that <laughs> this morning. Very private aspect. And as we get a hold of that, we're invited to get a little bit of that strength of individualism in all of our lives, to slow down and to look into the faces of people ourselves. It's a private, it's a private matter, um, concerned about the individuals. 
And yet, at the same time, it's very public. And it does reach to the masses. Do you, do you see what happens? Jesus heals one mother-in-law and exercises one demon in the synagogue. And Mark says that many came, many wanted to be healed. The whole town, it wasn't that big of a town, but the whole town lined up at the door to peer in and watch and see what Jesus was doing. This mission for the individual and geared towards the person is at the same time that which is able to extend itself to the city, to the masses, and to watch that reach go beyond, and actually not beyond, but work its way through this one, and then through that one, until it extends and reaches and continues to move out one person, it seems, at a time. Here's this mission of God, this, this, this God who, you know, as we think about our own city, this God who won't be content to simply bring healing and wholeness to an individual, but another individual, and to allow that to build and to grow and to bring a community to healing and to transformation, who will not, not allow just one addict to be reached, but a community through the work of the Santa Barbara Rescue Mission and other places to, to see God at work in one so that he might reach the whole. I think about the neighborhood that we that we inhabit as this local church. Do you ever think about it when you drive in? Just as you drive in, just just think about it. Just just pray. There's a few of us that live in this neighborhood, and I know that those who live around here would appreciate not only your prayers for this particular neighborhood, but your uh, your slow driving and full stops at stop signs and those kinds of things that show ourselves to be good neighbors. But, but here we are in this neighborhood, and sometimes I sit out on the patio here and, or in my office, and I'll just stare at that street, or I'll be, it'll catch my attention, and car after car, car after car, driving down. And people often ask me, you know, where's your church? And I say, well, it's right in the corner, corner of Villa Santos and Old San Marcos Road. You can't really see it on the way up the hill, but wait till you're coming down. Just wait till you're coming down. It's beautiful. You look right at it. It'll be a great, it'll be a great view. And, and, and what, a, what a beautiful thing to think that, in, that our church, as its place in this, in this neighborhood, could have perhaps the sort of influence that Jesus had in the house from and from the house of Simon Peter that Sabbath afternoon. That because of a changed life, those driving by, those walking by might hear and might see. In fact, I have some friends who live up there, and they'll say to me during the week, a lot of cars in that parking lot on Sunday. I said, yes, there were, but there was room for yours. You know, come on. I mean, but, but they notice. People notice. And, and to think that individual lives being transformed here could have an impact on a neighborhood on hundreds of homes, and what it might mean to live our lives in such a way as individuals and to allow God to work in us in such a way that, that the masses, that the neighbors 
might line up to peer inside, to know that it's what's available and what's been given gracefully to us is available to them as well. Let's, let's celebrate the individual nature of the gospel reach and let's believe in the, in the mass reach, the mass evangelistic effort of this gospel effort as well. I, I am, uh, you know, most of you know that I'm a, pretty much a non-presence on social media. Um, I'm, I'm, I say that I'm still looking for my voice. I just don't think it's, there's one there, actually. But I, I'm, just, I'm just so amazed as I hang out, especially with, you know, the kids, to, to hear and think about the influence of social media. And for a photo or a phrase to get out and to make such an impact on so many. And, and, and to, you know, what a, what a difference a follow can make in someone's well-being. You know, some of these guys, you get another follow, it's like, yes. Or a like, I mean, come on. Just over the top, right? It's like, just that makes your day. But, I mean, it just speaks to the prevalence of this in our culture and in our world and the opportunity that we have. And so I would just encourage those of, of you, not me, but you, who are active in this social media world. We are in a, a, a moment in our culture where, where the, the ability to spread a message is like it's never been before. I just encourage you to to consider how that platform that you're a part of and the pictures and the sayings and the things that you put out there for the world to see. I, I told the guys on my basketball team, I said, you know, I, and I, I think I said this to the guys at the rescue mission too. This is, and I'm, now I'm saying it to you. Don't, don't write anything that you don't want thousands of people to read. I mean, because it could happen. And, and don't be caught on video doing anything that you wouldn't want thousands of people to see. And that's sort of a kind of a, a way of life that I try to live by now in terms of social media in particular, but just the way that we speak and the things that I write. I read my emails just about 10 times each before I finally hit the send button to make sure that they're the right thing that wants to be communicated, not just to you, but to the, you know, thousand people that you might forward that to. So we, we got to be careful with that, but we have to, at the same time, seize the opportunity for that. And what that might look like as we seize that media opportunity to expand the gospel and to have people just peering in. Maybe it's something in a post that just gets people intrigued, peering in the door, seeing what's going on. Um, the mission of God is a very public matter. It has to go out to the people. It cannot be kept to ourselves. Here's, here's the last thing, though. I, I just think that the mission of God, and Jesus shows it to us here clearly, the mission of God is at its best when it, when it, when it becomes a, a, a personal burden. And I thought... I thought 
a long time about how to say that. I'm not sure still that's the best way to say it, but I hope you can catch what I'm trying to say, that the, that the mission, God's mission really takes, takes effect in and through us when it becomes something that just, that what, what he wants to do in the world just weighs on us. It just presses into us deeply. It's something that we can't shake. Because it, it seems to me that something happened in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus, when Jesus got up early that morning and went off to a solitary place, an isolated spot. And, and it was like it was a pre- Garden of Gethsemane, and, 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 and later in his life, it would be, you know, Father, take this cup from me. I'm not, really don't want to do this. Can we try it another way? And, 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 and yet here, early in his ministry, it's, hey, I kind of maybe like this way. People like what I'm saying. They like what I'm doing. But is this, this doesn't quite seem right, and, and even Peter, Simon Peter's words to him, when he found him in the, in, in the isolated place, we're not exactly sure what Jesus was praying, but we, we have maybe some sense of it by what Peter said to him. Hey, you got to come. The people are waiting for you. You got to get back here. Do you realize, essentially, Simon's saying, how popular you are right now? Do you, this is our moment. Let's go. Let's capitalize Get back in here in the town. Glad you got some rest, but we got some work to do. It's like, it's go time, Jesus. Let's get on it. And you kind of get a sense that, that Jesus perhaps knew that this sort of questioning or opportunity was coming his way. And so he had <coughs> deliberately, intentionally pulled back to reorient himself, to... to to, to come to grips with the fact that while these miracles were great, that, that, that perhaps the community was getting it wrong a little bit and, and getting a, a wrong understanding or perception of why he was there. And that, he, there's a sense that he needed to make it clear that he wasn't there to make their lives happy or just to make everything better. And Jesus says, I'm not going back. Not going back to Capernaum. Because back in Capernaum, back at Simon Peter's house, back, Simon, where your mother-in-law is making really good food, and I could get fat and happy right there, both, both physically and spiritually, perhaps. It's like, it just can't happen. Can't go back there. Because I just think that in a fresh and in, a, in, a, in an incredible reaffirmation, the, 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 the soul of Jesus, the, the essence of who he was, God-man, was, was gripped in a new way, in a fresh way. And I don't understand how that happens because he was Jesus, but, but still it seems like there's something new that happens here. And the mission of God just, just takes on a... A deeper, it grips him. It becomes a burden. And he just says to Simon, I'm not going back. I, I got to preach the gospel. 
I got to go to this city and that city, and I got to get to that city, and then I got to get to that town over there, and I got to get to those people over there, because this is why I came. This is why I came. There's too many people. It's nice in Capernaum, but there's too many people who need what I have to give, so I can't go back. Gripped, burdened in a whole new way. Something happens. Something happened, I think, even this week as we gathered for that training. It, it was, you know, it was, on the, on the surface, it was, you know, words like the okay zone, the resiliency zone, and it was, it was grounding, and it was resourcing, and all these kind of counseling and psychological terms, and it was really, really helpful. But the people who were there, they, they weren't there just to get another tool in their tool belt, you know? They weren't there just to kind of get some uh, personal edification. They were there because our community is in crisis mode. They wrote me back, RSVP, and I'm working with children in Montecito. I need this. Do you still have room? I'm helping to train counselors that are going out into schools. I'm helping with this. I'm dealing with this group. I, they, they, were, they, were, they felt the burden, do you see, of the crisis that our community is in. And so they put themselves into this moment where they could be equipped to the best of their abilities. We need to sense the urgency, the crisis of the moment in which we live, to put ourselves into a place where our souls and spirits might be so gripped by the mission of God that we wouldn't be able to sit still. <laughs> One writer said it like this that I read this week. He said, behind the private and public activity lay Jesus' life of total dependence on the one he called Abba, Father. This obviously was a source of his authority and power. And on this day of intense excitement, with the news of God's kingdom going public with a bang, Jesus knew his need of a God-given sense of direction and inner strength, both to build on the apparent success of the previous day and to take things forward in the right way. He knew he needed to get together. God. Friends, I'm just praying that, that while we celebrate the private, individual nature of the mission of God and the public, massive nature of the mission of God, we would, we would not miss the reality of the, the need for a personal burden to the mission of God. And our need, the only way we get that is to draw near. And so today we're, we're celebrating communion. We're, we're coming to the Lord's table as we close our time of worship this morning. And what an what a amazing opportunity it is just as we think about this theme to, to come. And, and we have different names for this time. We call it the Eucharist as we give thanks to God for what he's done in Jesus. And we, we call it the Lord's Supper as we remember Jesus gathering around with his disciples and sharing that last meal with them. And we call it communion because we, we enter into, in a, in a beautiful and powerful and even mysterious way, 
enter into union with Jesus as we come and we receive the bread and the cup, the emblems of his broken body and his shed blood. And I'm praying that for some of us this morning, as we come and receive of the elements, it might just be a new moment like it was for Jesus, where we're, we're right in the middle of everybody, but we're, we're pulled away for that, those few seconds, we're pulled away and we're just saying, we're just saying, God, just, just teach me and meet with me and, and burden me in a way that I haven't been burdened in a long time for your mission in the world. And, and I'm also praying that for some, it just might be like practice. It might be like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this right now. I'm, in, I'm communing with you, Jesus, in a very real way. And I want this to be that practice, which becomes an everyday part of my life that, that more and more I want to wake up in the morning and I want to ground myself in Jesus. And I want my heart, as I think about my neighborhood, as I think about my school, and as I think about my workplace, and as I think about my family, I want my heart just to be gripped with the burden of the mission of God. That's reaching, that's extending, that's loving, and that's redeeming. Let's pray together, can we? I'll invite our worship team and our servers just to come here, and I'll serve you first. Let's pray. God, God, we thank you again for what we've seen in Jesus in these weeks and in these verses here in Mark's gospel. God, we thank you for revealing Jesus to the world. We thank, we thank you for this one who, who came to live and to die and to be raised again. This one who communicates your love so beautifully. Thank you for revealing Jesus to the world. We thank you, God, for allowing Jesus to so beautifully and powerfully reveal you, your heart, your nature, your character to us as well. Thankful for all the things that we've been able to pick up about who you are in these weeks from just looking at the life of Jesus and the way that he worked, the way that he operated, the way that he interacted. Again today, just to, just to see him move and see him speak and see him act, and see him go towards people and pull away from people and to, to think about how even in his life he was showing us what matters most to you. Thank you, God, that you treasure individual people. Thank you, God, that there's not one who is outside of your sight and your love and the reach of your grace today. God, we pray for individuals that are close to our hearts, that have great need today, perhaps, who we long to see you touch in loving and redeeming ways. God, thank you that we know you care. Thank you that we know you care about us as individual people. Maybe when it seems like no one else really cares or seems to give us the time that we need to know that you care. To know that you're able to work in and through us as individual people in such a way that, that you might extend and expand your kingdom reach to hundreds, to 
thousands. Help us, O oh God, as a local church even to not be content simply to, to see you minister to one another or to one or two here, but through the reality of what you've done in us and are doing, to see you work in and through a local church to reach hundreds and thousands. And the church of Jesus Christ around our city and around our country to see you at work, oh God, in reaching many, many people. God, what it would, what it would mean, we just pray that, that the whole city of Santa Barbara and Goleta would come out to see what you're doing and how you're on the move. May we be such a vibrant and living testimony and example of the goodness and the grace and the love of God that, that the whole city would want to come out and see what's going on, oh God. May our individual lives shout the love and joy that we have found in you. Thank you. Thank you, God. And may it just grip us. May we find the moments, maybe, maybe it'll be right here this morning, the first time in a long time, or maybe we're finding it a little bit every day, or maybe we know that we want to and need to, finding those moments to find an isolated, quiet place and, and just pull back and, and not just simply skim through our chapter for the day or our reading for the day, but to simply wait at your feet, oh God, and, and, and just let you grip us and consume us. And your mission and your purposes for the world just, just fill us and burden us. Pray, God, that your people would sense a burden as we meet with you like never before. May we meet with you. And so even in these moments as we come and we, we recognize this incredible moment where Jesus met with his disciples and broke the bread and passed it to them and blessed it and said, this is my body broken for you. And the same way he took the cup and he blessed it and passed it to them and said, this is my blood, the new covenant shed for you. Take and eat and take and drink. And as we get to participate in, those, in, in these moments, as he invited us to do, as often as we remember him, we, we would do it in such a way this morning, Lord, that our hearts would commune with yours. May we commune with you, Jesus, our heart with yours. Oh God, may you have your way in us as we offer ourselves to you in this humble communion this morning. We love you and we bless you. We celebrate your name. And we celebrate a, an open table here at Coast Community. And so after I've served the worship team and the servers, we'll be standing out here in the front and we'll just invite you to come and to take a piece of bread and to dip it into the cup. The kids are invited as well. That's why we have them come back in when we serve communion. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or one who seeks to follow Jesus this morning, with all of your heart, let this be a moment where we knit our hearts to the heart of Jesus. God bless you as we come to the table this morning.